0: Welcome back to Ghostly Talk, this is Scott L. This is Amber. I felt, I just actually heard my stomach groan like yours did. Oh, really? On one of the old... Did you ever go back
1: and listen and see if you could
0: hear that? I don't think I remember doing it. Now I don't even remember what episode it was. It was Who were we talking to? I don't know, we were just talking like we're talking now, and your stomach just... Oh,
1: no, I think it was, was it during the Krampus?
0: Yeah, I think it was, it was the last, yeah, one of the last shows. Was it the last show? For the new year, yeah. Anyway. Yeah, that was loud, and I just... Thought I heard myself No, I didn't, hear, no, in I the didn't hear yours. All right, well, I I don't think it would have. Picked yours it wasn't up. as cold as mine. Yeah, I didn't. It wasn't as prominent. Nope. I wasn't as hangry as you were nope. at the time. But you I, were? I think you were very hangry when I we were recording that.
1: When my stomach is empty, it's. Mm-mm.
0: No. Yeah. Well. No. Um, speaking of someone who lives with her, I can attest to that. And yeah. Food is the best. make sure Amber is fed. Yeah. We talked to Zelia Edgar tonight. Yes. Super, super, super. She is a lifetime
1: researcher of the strange and unusual uh, since she was a little kid. Yeah. And she is, we need more fresh minds like hers that love to think outside of the box and look at things differently, not just what's kind of cool or what you see in the media or what's on TV. Uh, People that really open up books and look at things and look at what previous researchers in the past did. Um, and said and kind of bring some of that knowledge to the now and apply it to current cases. Yeah, you know. Just it's, we need more of that because the paranormal is so flipping confusing and weird. And I feel like our current way of exploring it and investigating it, we didn't mention a TV show the entire
0: time good, we were talking good, with her. I'm
1: glad. We no, that's. I just good. I just
0: thought about that. We, none of that crap because was mentioned. Because that's
1: not her her deal. No, and you know honestly, just, we, we, we really, bring that I up too much. We that. bring that up too much anyway. Because the TV shows are just entertainment. And honest to God, the people that watch those things anyway, they're
0: gonna be they, entertained. They're
1: entertained. They might go form a paranormal team and get some matching T-shirts for a bit, <laughs> and then then that's it. That's yeah. they're done. They're yeah. really not hurting anything. No, and, the, cool. and, the, and the people that are serious and that want to look at this stuff from a cool perspective yeah, and, and yeah. write books and do podcasts and, and have YouTube channels or people like Zelia. Well, and, add, um, and just
0: in general, add to the greater body of knowledge to this thing. Yeah. Maybe try to get some answers someday. And,
1: and then and then, they use media to get more intelligent discussions about the paranormal out there
0: intelligent
1: intelligent, intelligent. and which Ooh. she does and, and her youtube channel is really cute because it's just no nonsense it's just her turning on a camera i like it it's cute no frills yeah. no like crazy software editing and sound effects and, and always trying to be funny like that kind of stuff like there's a lot of podcasts out there which i appreciate humor and stuff but some yeah. there's a there's a there's a big thing right now with paranormal and humor Like going hand in hand, and that's fine because there's a market for that, and I think younger people dig that. I I get Um, I get people, but if you really are someone that loves to just get real information and research, like sometimes it's like, oh, stop with that humor. Well, yeah, well, story.
0: Well, oh boy, that sounds very familiar. We don't need to
1: say what. I'm not going to say who
0: it is, but (laughs) I'm going to say that those people drove me completely insane. (laughs) They did. They they drove me completely insane because I'm like, okay, man, you guys.
1: Scott turned on a popular. Very popular podcast, podcast. out there. <laughs> National and I'm podcast. I'm sure people have
0: plenty of complaints about what we do here, but I think we get to the point, though. Uh,
1: maybe. Depends. We get to the point. No, they just use a lot of humor. And I guess when... Oh God, you were, shut you were, up.
0: You were trying to... You wanted to learn that day. <laughs> I wanted to learn that day. You couldn't learn oh my, fast you, enough. Oh, my God. Then we turned on the other podcast. Which what, what was the... Oh
1: my Blurry God. Photos. Blurry
0: Photos. And I, I want to give a shout out to those guys. It was very good. Yeah. There uh, was
1: like just the right amount of humor and education in They it. were
0: brilliant speakers, um, entertaining people... And they knew how to really get to good. the
1: point and, and, and entertain. And, and it informed. was fun. I love their intros,
0: Blurry Photos. Oh yeah, they're great. Oh yeah. my,
1: it was so funny. And I think everyone's a little different. You said it wasn't the same intro. No, they
0: weren't. all. yeah, they, they were very you know a very creative bunch of guys. I, I don't love, know that much the, about I, them.
1: I actually love the podcast name Blurry Photos because yeah. it's like it's perfect. That's like every paranormal photo
0: out there. <laughs> so shout out to those guys. Yeah. Uh, I've been meaning to say that for a long I time. You guys, Chicago, so they, I, think I think
1: they're in Chicago, so I think they're they kind of close
0: to us. Yeah, check them out, Blurry Photos. I know they're on Spotify and they're they're
1: they're on all the Podbean. Um, they're on all the Platforms. Yeah,
0: very good show. Very um, cool show.
1: But really good. So, yeah, Zelia, she was just awesome. And yeah, she's got a new, brand new podcast out on the, I think it was the, I always forget, U, Paranormal Para, UK?
0: Paranormal UK, PA UK, Steve,
1: Steve Ward's uh, network that he's on yeah, with. The House high of Steve Ward built. The House of, yeah, <laughs> the High Strangeness Factor. I went over
0: to the UK and started up my no, own. No, don't paranormal. do your accents.
1: No, you know that. That's oh. forbidden. Okay. Okay. Right. So, Zelia Edgar has had a lifelong interest in the paranormal and has been seriously studying it for over a decade. In that time, she has worked as a field investigator and state director for Wisconsin MUFON and recently stepped down from that position to focus more time on her own research. Cases that transcend the boundaries of seemingly different types of phenomena are of special interest to her. She runs the YouTube channel, Just Another Tinfoil Hat, which I love that, and that's also the name of her podcast. And in addition to researching the paranormal, she writes weird horror and cosmic fiction. So enjoy your time with Zelia. We did. Righto! No!
2: Coming out of a bunker in Michigan, ghostly talk,
0: you say it is again. Buckle up, get your head a-spin again.
1: Today is Zelia Edgar, yeah. and like a creep, I spent the entire day with her, and she had no idea because I totally watched every single one
0: of her YouTube videos today. Yeah, what's her? What's the channel?
1: And her channel is just another tinfoil hat. Do I have that right, Zelia? Yep, that's correct. Okay, and so she was also on High Strangeness Factor with our buddy Steve Ward. And Steve's like, you must have Zelia on the show. So, of course, that's why she's here. So, welcome to the show, Zelia. We're really glad to have you.
3: Well, thank you. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to be here.
1: What, what I'm excited about with you, first off, I just said this to Scott earlier. I absolutely love your YouTube channel, and I love the fact that there's no frills. And I don't mean that in, like, any offensive way. Like, I love the fact that it's just you, the camera, there's no crazy fancy editing, nothing like that. Even like your cutscenes, are you pausing the camera at times and then just unpausing, and then your really cute, adorable ending with your little hand-drawn sketch, <laughs> thanking people and well, thank you. Yeah, I love that part. I watched every time ta- every and it's like I kind of looked forward to every ending of the of the show, uh, just for that <laughs> little animation and your little sound you make. So anyway, and what's refreshing about you is that you kind of look at things in a way that I wish more people in the paranormal field would look at things. And that's because you're looking at sort of like the outside of the paranormal. And and what I think people need to do more is connect the dots. Like, I know we got involved in this really because of ghosts back in the day. Ghosts, ghosts, ghosts were a thing. And we didn't... Yeah, we that didn't, was what
0: our primary interest And was. we didn't yeah. talk
1: to the UFO kids. Like, the UFO people were totally different part of the paranormal. And even like like the weirdos of the paranormal. And so we never really like butted heads. And then after I had my own UFO experience, then I was like, wait a minute, I got to look into this stuff. And then when everything started to make sense, like, well, when you start seeing all these correlations between ghosts and poltergeists and UFO cases and abductees and all these things like that, and then you get sucked into all this literature that you I know you're a fan of, like Jacques Vallée and uh, John Keel, and you start seeing oh, yeah. these patterns... And I know that that's one of, the th- one of the things I saw in your YouTube videos um, and what kind of information you're giving to the public is drawing those con- connections. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, thank you. That's exactly what I'm trying to go for. So that's really high praise. Um, but, no, yeah, it's really funny because I find that a lot of the times a lot of people in the paranormal, they do, they get involved with it through just one field of study. And then more often than not, you know, as you go along and kind of keep researching, the rest kind of draws you in. Because for me, I've loved this stuff, like, for as long as I can remember it. I've been researching it seriously since I was, like, probably eight years old. And my big thing when I first started was cryptozoology. Like, that was my obsession. So, um, yeah, that's definitely what I started with. And, again, with a very, like, you know, conventional flesh-and-blood Cryptids are just undiscovered creatures. Yeah, And then as the years went on, I kind of moved into, yeah, looking at ghosts, looking at UFOs. And then I hit John Keel, and that's when, yeah, definitely kind of the dots started connecting. So, yeah, that's definitely what I'm going for, so thank you.
1: Yeah, you're welcome.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and John Keel, it,
1: for someone who was who wrote back in the 60s and 70s, he's, jo- he's enjoying like a renaissance of his work again, which I think is great. I wish he was still alive to see that. And I'm glad that people are going back to people like him and rereading his books and rethinking about the things he said and those connections he made and starting to think outside of the box, because I think that's what this field needs a lot of, are tons of people like you going around and thinking outside of this box, that we have to look beyond what these normal things say about what the paranormal is. Because I've always felt since day one, since I started researching this like over 20 years ago, that like I'm like I, I don't think guys I don't think this is what we think it is, like I'd be that one person yeah. off in the sidelines going eh, okay. Or when I got into ghost hunting, the orb was a big deal. Like the actual like on digital camera oh, yeah. on digital camera orbs. I'm sure, you're very familiar. Thankfully, they had a short life. Kinda. kinda. well. Maybe it's still kind of alive still, it now. It still has It's it's still gotten its fans. Yeah. So, oh uh, yeah. But and and, <laughs> and and actually, you did a whole YouTube video on orbs, and not just of, yes, I. Yeah, and not just of the kind showing up in photos, but the fact that orbs do show up in the paranormal as things we can't explain. And I know you had your own encounter with some orbs. I think it was outside. Can you can you retell that?
3: Yeah, that was honestly. I've I've had. um, You know, it's funny because like I'm in the paranormal. You know, I love researching, and it's really important to me. And the funny thing is, is I, I kind of look back over like my life, and I've had. I guess I would say a fair amount of you know, unexplained encounters. And the one with the orbs was definitely I, one of the most dramatic, I guess you would say, because uh, it was, there were these four like spheres of orange light, just this perfectly glowing orange light um, that appeared. I Actually, I live on a corner lot, and so we have a crossroads right outside our house, and they appeared right over the crossroads surrounded by power lines, and so right there that's two, you know, Major League John Keel things, um, as far as pertaining to UFO sightings and it was just they were, it was a really overcast night and these, you know, objects were just kind of floating there in this perfectly fixed sort of pattern and they were only about two or three stories up off the ground, so very close and then one by one they just started blinking out you know, really in this, like, steady, they kind of go blink, 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 then faster and faster, and then they were just gone one at a time. And the best part of this is that because my, my family was outside, my mom and sisters, and I were watching these things, and all of a sudden, as soon as they vanished, one of the neighbor boys um just tears across the street and through our yard and runs into his house. And so, of course, we're standing there saying, okay, well, he saw it, too. So we go over, we knock on the door, and, you know, ask him, like, hey, you know, we saw these things in the, things in the sky. Uh, did you happen to notice them? He's like, no, you guys don't understand. I was over at this school a few blocks away. These things came over twice.
2: Oh, wow.
3: And so he saw these same objects. He said they came over once, and they went away, and he was like, oh, okay, this is fine. And then he saw them the second time, he freaked out and <laughs> the Martians were landing, I guess. Yeah, this isn't so fine now. So that's when he decided to run home. Um, but, yeah, it was it was just, it's amazing because, you know, at the time, too, it's kind of like you just can't believe what you're seeing. I mean, they were just, there's no explanation for them, you know, that we currently understand, and they were just right there. You know, and there were multiple witnesses. I wasn't the only one. I'm not just from that case. So that was right. nice, too.
2: That's the best. Um, yeah.
3: And, yeah, so that kind of spurred my interest in orbs. And that was actually, too, I have the video about it, and then that was also uh, the presentation I gave at the Van Meter Visitor Festival um, in September, which is where I met Steve Ward. Yep, yep, And that was a really great time. But yeah, um, my presentation was on the orb phenomena as well, because when people typically think of it, um, the ghost orbs are, I believe, what most people think of first. And unfortunately, when they think of ghost orbs, a lot of that is, you know, dust boats and yeah. the rain and part- particulate things caught on film. Um, which, of course, aren't actual unexplained orbs. They're just camera artifacts. Yeah. And so, But if you really look into it, these things do. You know, they're spotted with the naked eye. Um, there are some anomalous photographs, which, unfortunately, are kind of thrown away um, with all the dust moat photos. Um, and they're viewed in conjunction not only with hauntings, but also, of course, the UFO phenomenon, both as standalone, unidentified flying objects and with other craft or other objects. And surprisingly enough, also in conjunction with cryptids, which is really interesting. So, yeah, how, it's definitely. How, how I think so it's a pretty w- prominent feature of the phenomenon in general.
0: I need to ask how so with cryptids. Are there any examples?
3: Oh, yeah, there are. Um, well, there's a few different. See, so it's kind of interesting because there are several places where it's like John Keel's window areas, um, where there's just like a history of spook lights, you know, these recurring sightings of orbs in the area. One of those is the Joplin spook light, which is near the sighting of um doo-doo-doo. yeah, the sighting of Momo the mystery. let's see. Oops, not Joplin.
0: No, in yeah, Momo the
3: monster. That's there's like a history of spook lights in that area as well. Yeah. Yeah, that is Joplin, sorry. Yep. And then there are other cases as well where these Um, orbs appear kind of standalone around sightings of cryptids, such as Rochdale, Indiana. There's a luminous object that appeared the day before a sighting of a Bigfoot-like creature, which actually had this very distinct oddity. It actually didn't leave tracks through um, a muddy field where it was spotted. So, yeah, in some cases, the orbs have been there for a long time, and they're kind of a recurrent thing um, in conjunction with an appearance of, like, some sort of cryptid, whereas others, they seem to show up at the same time.
2: Yeah.
0: Now, in regards to orbs, and I want to add to this, too, I've had some mm-hmm. conversations with a lot of people over the years about this. And, yeah, I, like Amber, you know, back in, like, night well, 1823, when we started doing this stuff, it seems like now, <laughs> um, there was, yeah, it was the dawn of the digital camera era. And this yep. was before the oh, yeah. phones and all that stuff um when the quality was complete garbage i mean they were really cool for the because you're like wow i can put a floppy disk in this thing You don't and have to develop film <laughs> yeah i can i can take a floppy disk and put it in here and then i can just put the floppy disk in my computer and look at all these insane <laughs> pictures right um and yeah. we don't need to go into all the technical reasons why these dust orbs and that phenomena occurs on film most people know it already however um we, I know I met a very interesting person who's no longer with us, unfortunately, uh, which was a, by the, a man by the name of Dr. Ken, who did a lot of research at Mansfield Reformatory, Mansfield, Ohio. Uh, and he's a person I taught who was staunch, staunch. And I may have told this story on the show here before, but this guy was a staunch hater. Of digital photography like I shouldn't say hater just he he believed for the very reasons that we're talking about that it was inferior and they we should stay with analog because that's a true photo and it and you wouldn't get those anomalies and artifacts in, in a, you don't get those things in a, a regular camera a 35 millimeter camera for example um, so we discussed this in depth uh, one time when we met up and he explained to me that, yeah, orbs are very, they're a real phenomena. They're, they're not just things that are manufactured in the camera itself. Um, they are energies and that they have a distinct look about them. And I don't know if this is what your inter, if, if your impression is, Zelia, or not. But the one main thing he said was that, you know, an orb that with any kind of substance, I guess when it comes to energy, would be one that has a very bright center, and it would kind of dissipate out towards the edges, right? Um, that's what he said. the The few orb shots that he got on film that he, you know, said, "Okay, I consider this anomalous," were ones that had that characteristic about them. Um, is that something that you've seen before? As far as I don't, maybe not just film, but I mean the ones you've seen. I guess the ones you've seen yourself. Is that something or that you more associated
1: you know? with UFO
0: phenomena? Or yeah, anything really.
3: Yeah, well, and that description too comes up a lot in um, accounts of actually unexplained orbs. Yeah. Um, yeah, the ones that I saw, it is it's it's very hard to describe, which I know is kind of a cliche, but it was uh just this. It almost looked like I don't know, like it was just even, and there was like there was some variance um, towards the edges, but there was nothing like flickering about it, nothing um, translucent about it. It was a definite like. Yeah you know, object, if that makes sense. And, yeah, it was just very strange. But, no, that description does come up a lot um, with, you know, the kind of more, like, the core almost to the object kind of dissipating out towards the edges.
2: Well, yeah, I mean... But never
3: really a flickering sort of light. Um, I know I was with MUFON for a while, and those stupid Chinese lanterns were the bane of my...
0: (laughs) Well, that description, (laughs) that description, to me explains the physical nature of this thing more than anything does because to me that says okay there's something there that is made of energy and that you know it we see it in our light spectrum that with our eyes we see that it's part of the light spectrum the color spectrum and we can see that and it obviously is light and after I mean, it's only from what we're seeing, it's just it's an orb. So it, how, it can only be, you know, inches or maybe a foot. Who knows how big it really is. But that light dissipates from the center. So, you know, I guess the question is, what is that in the center? What is what's creating that that light that we're seeing when it comes to orbs? But I think there, it's a very real thing. I think people are quick to write off orbs. You know and I mean, oh, yeah people they there they're, they're,
3: it is largely because of the dust motes, unfortunately yeah. oh
0: totally yeah
3: and yeah. we've seen
1: our own we have we've
0: seen this yeah we've yeah. got we some, we some
1: out in Cape Cod and I I think they were kind of attached to sort of the will-o'-the-wisp stories out there and oh yeah, yeah. saw these little blue orbs uh, just moving through the tombstones um just kind and of And a of, whole
0: bunch of people saw it. It oh, wasn't like it wasn't like one or two yeah. of us saw something and we freaked no. out. So, it was a whole group of people yeah. who were like, "Dude, look at that." It's the best. Whoa.
1: So yeah, when you said you had witnesses with your orb sightings, I was it feels so good to be like, "Oh my god, we're all not crazy. You guys saw that cool." Oh yeah. Yes. We're, oh yeah. It's Definitely. it's the best. Um now I one of the things you're interested in too is the 1897 Uh, airship wave. And I I have to tell a quick story. I do a lot of research in old newspapers, and I was, for a while, there doing keyword searches on UFO or unidentified light or just all these random things, you know, going back as far as I could. And all of a sudden, and we're from, we're in Michigan, so we're not, we're just over the lake from you. So we're not too far. And all of a sudden I saw these, stories about this mysterious airship seen over Michigan and I was like what 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 and then I would have this thing where I I wouldn't get too excited I would look up the stories first in the newspapers before I googled it because I felt like I was almost discovering something for the first time like old newspaper readers in 1897 would have discovered it and then of course after I found like a ton of articles going from the west coast to the east I was like dang it like, oh, people have researched this already. <laughs> this was years ago, and this was before I really got into the UFO thing anyway. Um, so, yeah, like Jacques Vallée obviously has a great book on ancient sightings up to going way back to the 1800s and and, and now. But mm-hmm. um, have, have you – have I? what have you researched with that, and what, what kind of piqued your interest in that particular uh, airway or air flap? Of, uh, I guess it's kind of like almost like the first uh, UFO flap in the U.S.,
3: Oh, yeah, I definitely, I would consider it that, just because it was really meticulously studied at the time, too. Um, I first came across the 1896-97 wave in Operation Trojan Horse, oh, which, yeah. of course, is like one of John Keel's just, yep. I love that book. It completely, completely changed how I look at the UFO phenomenon. Um, and the interesting thing to me about the 18 18- that wave of 96, 97, I guess it started at the tail end of 96 and yeah, California and then kind of worked its way across the nation, um, mainly through the early parts of 97. Um, the really intriguing thing to me about it is because I do, I think that there is far more to the UFO phenomenon simply than extraterrestrial visitation. Yep. Um, again, when I started looking at UFOs, that was the only thing that I thought it could be was obviously aliens. Yeah. Cause that's of course our current frame of reference. And, you know, how many John Keel books later, you know, I've definitely decided <laughs> that it has to be something else. Yeah. And the interesting thing to me about the airship wave is that I feel like it kind of represents the bridge between fairy lore and the of, you know, people coming from the sky prior to the 1800s and the modern conceptualization of UFOs as extraterrestrial visitants. Um. Because with the airship wave, the really interesting thing is that it definitely reflects exactly what people of that era expected flying machines to look like. You have these kind of blimp-shaped objects with wings and rudders and propellers, and the myth of, you know, the great inventor was kind of born in that time as well. And so I feel like um, it's kind of like if you look at fairy lore and the modern concept of extraterrestrial visitation as two sides of the same coin, the airship wave is almost kind of like the side of the coin. It's that movement from, you know, the very more fairy tale romantic nature of like much earlier sightings into our more technologically advanced societal um, ideas of the current age. It's definitely very indicative of the era of the Victorians and, you know, their beliefs. So yeah, it's definitely interesting, especially because the same patterns are there throughout the whole thing, from fairy lore to modern um, accounts of occupants and visitation.
2: Yeah, I mean, even
3: some of the airship, the places where the airship was, you have um, cattle mutilation and livestock mutilation. And that was due to um, people claiming they were seeing black panthers and wild men in the area. I and mean, you get the same sort of thing with um, current UFO reports. So, it definitely is. It's very interesting. It's just, it's the same pattern kind of repeating itself, but with a slightly different variation for every new mindset.
1: Well, and I, I like I find it interesting too with even those old the airship sightings that people reported seeing people in there, men in there, and they're and they're in their mm-hmm. little outfits, and that's one of the things you're studying right now is alien outfits, <laughs> alien fashion, yeah, alien fashion, UFO <laughs> occupants, yeah. And I love this because so often we. We hear first about what the UFOs or what the aliens were wearing. Like they're matching jumpsuits. They're sparkly. Yeah. When we when we watch Star Trek or or old vintage sci-fi, there there's so much focus on the outfit more so than just what they look like physically. Like it just looks like a person, but the outfit's like crazy badass, oh, like yeah. disco-like, um lighting up, you know, all that stuff. So so what kind of patterns yeah. have you noticed or things that have that stand out about alien attire? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Well, this whole thing hit me, actually, when I was researching the Flatwoods Monster, um, of all things, because, of course, the Flatwoods Monster was uh, spotted in um, near a downed saucer, which, again, too, we kind of have this concept of the flying saucer crashing, which, in my opinion, is kind of a sort of modern myth, if that makes sense. And the Flatwoods Monster, unlike many other sightings of UFO occupants, actually looked like some sort of robotic or mechanical entity um, or potentially some sort of, you know, very intense like spacesuit. And as I'm researching the Flatwoods monster, I'm realizing this is exactly what we should be expecting to come from a UFO, not, you know, just some sort of humanoid person. We should be expecting, you know, a robot or a drone, because if there are extraterrestrial biological entities and they are visiting us on our planet, you know, you have to think about what we do in reverse. There's no way... I mean, it's like the alien movies. You would not land on a planet with no spacesuit. You know, even if the atmosphere is exactly the same, even if our biologies are similar, there's just too much risk involved. And so I suddenly realized in researching something that is exactly what we should be expecting, something robotic, something like a drone, most, like 98, I would say, percent of UFO occupant encounters don't fall into this model. Um, instead of spacesuits or drones or anything like that, instead you have, uh, like the case with the Simonson encounter, which of course is uh, the alien pancake yeah. yeah. you have these very humanoid-looking entities wearing uh, two-piece suits <laughs> with turtlenecks Italians. and little neck caps. There's absolutely <laughs> no sort of protective gear or um, breathing apparatus at all. Yeah. And that is the case across most UFO-occupant encounters. It just really doesn't add up if we're looking at extraterrestrial biological entities
0: well you know and this this kind of to me it 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 glues itself to a lot of other aspects of what our interpretation of what a ufo or what aliens are um for example i mean most of the sci-fi stuff movies and and books that we are you know exposed to if that's your thing uh i mean and there's a lot of movies i've watched where literally the the main villain in the film, like let's say it's a sci-fi movie, the main villain is space itself because there's so many ways that it can kill you, right? Yes, so, exactly, yeah. So we as a race, we've I don't think we've mastered space travel by a long shot. I, I mean, if we have been able to go to the moon, some people say we haven't, that's a whole different discussion. But I mean, we have, let's just assume for a minute, we have been able to go to the moon, uh, but we still have, in my opinion, very arcane technology when it comes to surviving the harshness of space. It's not much different than than surviving the harshness of the deep sea, for example. There's, there, that's why we can't go to certain places that are so deep on the planet underwater, because we just don't have the, the means or the technology to do it yet. So... It seems like that's, as far as fashion's concerned, let's take us as our fleshy people, our, our race of people here. Um, we don't have much fashion sense when it comes to that. And because I think all the outfits we have, they're just built to ma- to help you survive. Because <laughs> yep, it's, exactly. it's, so it's not, it's more practical Th- these bulky suits that we see our astronauts wearing from all different countries on this planet, they're all similar because they're all designed the same way to resist um, extreme cold, extreme pressure, the vacuums of space. Um, so they're not very sleek. So that taking that idea, to me, it, it's aliens. You, I mean, we, let's call them aliens, the UFOs. They may have mastered this stuff. They have systems, they have machines uh, that don't require possibly all of this extra bulky stuff that we have to wear. I mean, however, and I'm just kind of riffing, I'm just kind of thinking on the top of my head right now, our astronauts, when they're inside the capsules, I mean, they're in their, their super cool looking little jumpsuits, I guess, which are pretty sporty looking. I think those are all right. Those are cool. So, I mean, I don't know if they were, if they were a... Uh, founded by another race of people what they would think about our fashion <laughs> i don't i don't know
3: I, yeah i've never know. thought
0: about this before to be honest with you Zilli. it's a very yeah. interesting well, idea Go well ahead. the
3: interesting thing too is that so many of this again to bring up um the patterns throughout fairy lore i mean the coveralls you know and some are even observed in tunics and things like that or little red caps these have been constant throughout the ages from, you know, when we were still using the terminology of fairies or, you know, the good folk or whatever, straight into aliens and extraterrestrials. And so those patterns exist too, it's just it's very strange. Yeah. Um, and then too, every now and again, you'll see certain trends. I know um, in some of the older editions from like the 60s and 70s, a ton of reports were coming in um, of entities in things that looked like scuba suits. <laughs> and then it's almost like as soon as those faded away, suddenly you start getting the grays, which um, I know many account, abductee accounts uh, claim that they believe that the grays are actually some sort of spacesuit, some sort of drone. So there are, there's like so many just different facets, even in this one portion of their behavior, you know, how they dress, that just, it is, it's crazy. There's just so much of it.
0: It seems like to me, I mean, it would just all come from, as I said before, at least in our case, as our people are concerned, uh, it's just a matter of practicality. I mean, obviously, Mm -hmm. let's talk about a drone for a second here. I mean, let's assume that it's a drone. So it's some type of robotic or machine-like apparatus that they send out for obvious reasons that they don't want to send anybody in there in case there's hostiles right uh that's just a practical thing i mean we do the same thing ourselves with certain things with the military and whatnot uh we don't know what we're coming upon and i and i i do believe that if an advanced race looked i believe that that they looked down on our planet they'd be like yeah we better send a drone down there these people seem pretty hostile (laughs) i mean just look around (laughs) these people are pretty wild um So I mean, but I think it all comes back to practicality, spacesuits, things like that. Um, But you know, I guess it has to look nice though too. I mean, there's that. I mean, I know we're kind of laughing about this a little bit with the whole fashion aspect, but uh, you know, it's interesting to think about what because we have our vision. Like I said, our vision is bulky, uh, and we do have, as as Amber said too, the. Uh, the whole star trek thing for example i think you were you were kind of alluding to that amber was the whole what does the future look like and of course the future that was the future in 19 yeah. in the 1960s yeah. uh, which is vastly different um it's interesting to think about like what, i mean
1: it well, just Well every every decade our concept of aliens and what they look like i think changes back from when it started like when when yeah, the roswell yeah. happened and what we think flying saucers look like, and what we think little green men look like, and then how it starts to change with the Space Brothers and the or Vesuvians and uh, the the blonde-haired people and the Nordics, and it just kind of changes, and then you got Whitley Strieber dropping Communion, and then it's the gray alien on the cover, and then all of a sudden it's very kind of, yeah, like could be a drone, could be just a bodysuit, but it's now all of a sudden a very creepy, very naked, um, not cool like the 50s and 60s, um, a terrifying creature. So it's it's interesting to watch how that's changed. Uh, Zeely, have you noticed that throughout the decades how that I, I mean if you we're, we're talking still about alien fashion, but how that has <laughs> changed through the decades to oh. now cuz now I don't even know if we're talking about alien clothes anymore.
3: <laughs> but I know the line gets really blurred, especially yeah, with the grays. It's just cuz that is that's I would say that's the predominant um entity that people think of now are the grays yeah. and a lot of that To me, it's just this change that does occur, and you are absolutely right. It's like there's a different trend almost every now and again when we start thinking differently about what these things could possibly be. And so this thing, you know, based on their appearance to me is just kind of evidence of almost like the reflexive nature of this phenomenon, that it kind of plays, you know, our observing it and our, like, trying to figure out what it is plays into how it appears, and as much as it kind of wants to be perceived, it, our perceptions would also alter it. Um, I know that's something that Keel definitely was very much into and there's even one account where he was theorizing he started noticing that you know he'd come up with an idea and he'd talk about it and all of a sudden you know a report would come in that would try like almost be evidence for the very theory that he was thinking of, and so just as a test he Um, thought that perhaps these things might be aquatic and like the very next week he got an account someone said that they saw a man in black type character with gills so Mm. i think that all of this is evidence of kind of the reflective nature of this phenomenon
0: well i mean and we've kind of this has been pointed out a couple times here um people get front-loaded you know, I mean that's that's something that happens I think. That that's what you're talking about right there. People just get front loaded on these things. When someone shows you what their interpretation of is, is of something, that may become what your interpretation is also, right?
1: Oh, well, yeah. sure, but I think Definitely, I think yeah. too what she was referring to is that John Keel just started having ideas about things Yeah. and then all of a sudden those ideas start showing up not even talking to anybody, which is like that phenomena starting to play with us, like playing that game um where it kind of appears to you like you know what I mean? Well, when they show,
0: you say they, they start showing up. Uh, but people have to observe that, though. That has to be observed, right? I mean, thats I mean, I'm mean, i just, people are having their sightings, correct? Sure. Oh,
3: yeah. Yeah, there's like an objective. You know, something is out there as to what that something yeah. is. Yeah. And if we're seeing any of the truth of it, thats I feel like that's the big question.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm not doubting anything here, but I mean, it seems to, I mean, and I'm not saying that people aren't having genuine sightings either because I believe they are, but I do think that people, okay, look, let's just put it this way. So let's take your typical gray, like that we all, and and when I say that we kind of all have this picture in our head of what the gray looks like. Right. And let's say that you and, and Amber and myself all had a gray sighting and we were sat down and we were asked to describe the gray, right? Write it down in a paragraph of what you saw. I'm willing to bet you 10 bucks that um, while we all kind of, I'm guarantee you would probably be similar. We all would have some differences though with that though too. There would be some little, some various differences, but we're all kind of getting that same, to me, we're, we're observing it. We, it's just our perception of it, I guess. Or am I just taking this way to the, too far into the fucking weeds here?
1: <laughs> well, no, I, well, Marnie and I, we had, and I've said this on the show before. Everybody's but confused
0: because of me. I'm sorry.
1: It, sh- you just sh- just, you be quiet now.
0: Okay. Right, and right. so
1: Marnie and I had an experience where we both saw what we think, what I think now, is your most recent video on YouTube, a biological UFO. And this was. Oh, really? Yeah. It was the trippiest thing. I. I, I can't, I, it was like, we didn't even know how to ex- like explain it, what we were seeing. There was literally kids were on a hill sitting there in the evening at midnight um, along Lake Michigan and kids are playing miniature golf because it was prom night and they were out late. And all of a sudden like this thing that looks like a jellyfish just comes out of the sky, kind of hovers yeah. by us and takes off. And we're like,
2: what oh the
1: hell was that? No one even looked up from the mini golf. It's just us two that saw it. Ironically, we were talking about UFOs and having a really good discussion about this whole thing, like what we're talking about now. So when it came over, I thought initially it was a drone. because so i thought, like, well, that makes sense because there's kids playing golf and they're probably taking pictures and it's, you know, after prom night. Cool. And then as it got closer and it had this like translucent shape to it, this sort of like loose gumdrop jellyfish type shape. I mean, it didn't have tentacles or anything and then seemed to have sort of a, a darker center. But when when Scott yep. was saying like everybody would see something different, I mean, Marnie and I, we both saw the same damn thing. I mean, there was no... Oh, and
0: I know that happens. Yeah, there was... Because you're both right there. you no. are right there. Okay, but I mean, yeah. I still want to point out, though, that, yeah, you guys saw the same thing. You guys saw the same thing. Yeah, we, I agree. We had
1: no discrepancies. But if
0: you were asked to sit down and write down separately... if We you were did at,
1: that for MUFON.
0: And you guys wrote down the exact same thing, yeah. word for word. Yeah. I want to see that. Fake news. It's not fake, fake news. news. Fake news. Oh my
1: god! I'm <laughs> taking you out. No, perception um, is
0: perception no, is it everything. Does, no,
1: and it doesn't. It does happen, and I'm sure Zelia said because you said you were involved in Mufon for a while. Oh yeah. Yep. So, were you As an act- a field
3: investigator? Okay. And state director. A little okay.
1: Little so yeah, I'm sure that that comes into play all the time when you're collecting people's stories and especially multiple witnesses. I, I know that comes into play. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah.
3: I know even um, you know classic cases like the Flatwoods Monster. You know each of the witnesses did they described different portions of the perception or you know what stood out to them the most. Um, The interesting thing is like if it ever contradicts, which I believe um, even Betty and Barney Hill's sightings when they recalled the entities they observed, there were a few contradictions. Now as to whether or not that like undoes the veracity of their report, you know I really don't think it does because. You know, who knows what this stuff if it has the ability to somehow control perception or not. Yeah. Um but no yeah, the just, you know, different things stand out to different people based on person like their personality or, you know, their per about uh, proximity to the object itself. Yeah.
0: So yeah, perception is everything. And I think people yeah, I mean I mean to me if some people will get they get it in the ballpark, I'm like, okay, yeah, that you guys just are just perceiving it differently. And you know what? I'm fine with that too. Sometimes uh, you know, um, observations may butt heads every once in a while, too. It happens, right? I think it's a matter of, wh- of what people are experiencing. Like what you just said. Perception is comprised of, uh, of to me, millions of different little neurons and all types of things that are happening that make up what you're seeing and how you interpret that, right? So that can make things complicated, I think. Uh, yeah. So, all right. Sorry. I didn't mean to confuse everybody on that. I'm going to shut up now again. <laughs> I'll be back over here in the corner.
1: The, so I, oh, man. So when I'm watching your YouTube videos, there was one thing that stood out where I went, oh, I didn't know that. And I get really super excited because I've I've been reading this stuff for so long that often I, I buy a new book and I'm like, ah, oh, damn it, it's the same information, just kind of like recycled, yay. And you said, and, and now I, and I don't, probably the field I know the least amount about still is cryptozoology. That is the one thing oh, okay. that I need to learn more about, spend more time with. But you mentioned... The, well, how a lot of these monsters show up, these kind of harbingers of doom, whether you want to call Mothman that, um, but these creatures that kind of show up either one time, twice, or, or hang out for a bit like Mothman and seem to be warning people of something bad. I had no idea that people were seeing a creature at Chernobyl. And are you able to describe what they were seeing at Chernobyl?
3: Oh, that one. I need to actually double check on that one, because apparently there are some conflicting reports. Um, hmm. I saw that on a few different uh, cryptozoology sites, and supposedly it was supposed to be um, just like a giant crow-like creature. Okay. Um, and then I found a few other things that said that um, they can't really find any sort of proof that that was spotted. So I'm not sure if that might okay. just be an internet legend or not. Okay, because, so, yeah,
1: that's a scary thing, that stuff. Someone could just start that on a message board somewhere, and all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, did you hear? And yeah. all of a sudden oh, yeah. it becomes part it's, of the you know, lore. suddenly
3: in you know, a pretty reputable website. Yeah, it's a yeah. major bummer. That was also the Philadelphia Experiment. That, too, is another one that um, was a hoax way back in the day. And, oh, my gosh, that was a mess. Uh, Ivan Sanderson even had uh, part of the whole thing in um, Uninvited Visitors. You know, just like, oh, here this is, but, you know, no one really knows so wait, what's up whoa, with it. Whoa, hang so, on. The yeah, you have, it, it is one of those things, unfortunately, the field is, there's a lot of that.
0: Oh, yeah, well, and you know? so you said the Philadelphia experiment, which I've, we've had a lot of exposure to here. You said that that started out as a hoax? Started out as a hoax. That's,
3: yeah, I haven't done extensive uh, research on it, but apparently they did a handwriting analysis and found that it was, um, Oh, boy, I'm horrible with these names. But, yeah, apparently it was the guy who claimed that it's, you know, he found the manuscript. Yeah. Apparently it looks like he's the one who did most of the writing on the manuscript. So, I'm... yeah, there's a lot of weird business from that time. with, And especially, too, with the Men in Black, there's so much true anonymous stuff with that. And then there's also just a bunch of people kind of screwing around with it um, well, from that time especially. So,
0: Yeah, and, you yeah, know... I mean, in fairness, and this is, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. Uh, If you've spent some time with the the story of the Philadelphia Experiment and and Montauk also, right, Uh, which those two are, they're kind of married together when it comes to the whole timeline of of that thing. Um, It's a pretty insane story. I've... I've read over it and watched uh, interviews with people that say they were involved with it several, several, several times. And it's oh, wow. one its one insane story about the things. I mean, literally, like, I mean, I don't know how, how much you've been exposed to, Zelia, but we're talking about ideas of, of things called mind amplifiers. So like, literally, you put a person in a chair that has some type of, of, of I guess, would be sensitive or psychic ability and this machine will amplify their mind, and they can basically manifest anything they want by just thinking about it. Yeah. I've, right?
3: I uh, haven't researched that um, extensively, but I, that has come up a few times, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, that's what, that's what Preston Dennett discussed on there, because and, and, he says he was one of the psychics they used. I think it was Preston Dennett. I may have my names wrong. But he says, like, yeah, they sat me in the chair and said, okay, you can manifest anything with your brain now. We want you to manifest a time tunnel. To take us back in time.
1: Was it just stuff like that oh, wow. or was it physical things? Like, I, I want to manifest some snacks. What, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, no, they, well, that's one of the things they said they did manifest was they snacks. manifest some big hairy creature to start oh. destroying buildings.
1: So, okay. They, this okay. is the shit. The okay. shit is
0: for real. So I mean, this,
1: this is what's interesting because Zelia brought this up in some of her her yeah. YouTube videos too, where you get these random one-time creatures like the ghost kangaroos or the phantom yeah. kangaroos. Yep. These weird things Uh, the Dover demon. And they just pop up like one time and they disappear. So what if it is like some dude sitting in his his basement going, okay, I think I made this like cool helmet and I think it's going to manifest some weird shit. And then he puts it on and then manifests like a phantom kangaroo that starts hopping around town and then he's like, crap, unplug and it goes away. I mean, there could be or some, it just some gets people. put out
0: there and you can't sure it, it's just there now and it's and, just hiding so it's hiding under this house right now oh great know, right? and I
1: know there's the idea too of the of the tolpa and stuff these thought forms that and which is probably the similar aspect of what we're talking about, but um that makes you wonder about those one time creatures yeah things well, like yeah, that. So,
3: and that's what makes you know cryptozoology is really interesting because I do I feel like the field is still mainly a lot of people who really want to, you know, bring in Bigfoot's body or something like that. And I'm definitely not saying that that can't be the case. But then you have, yeah, like the Enfield Horror, which of course had uh, three legs and like pink flashlight eyes and, you know, claws and was like this rubbery gray furred thing that dripped slime. Um, And then, yeah, the Dover Demon, which had no apparent mouth or nose. You have these things which really in all likelihood, should not exist physically. And I just, I can't see really another option, you know, unless we're, if you go with the idea that all of these things must be corporeal, then all of these things have to have a population. And in so many of these cases, I mean, this even goes to lake monsters. That doesn't even really, that doesn't make much sense. Um, And yeah, I do. I think that some of these are, they're just kind of like these weird flopped projections. Or yeah, maybe some guy with a mind amplifier. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I want one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'll
1: make cute things. I promise. <laughs> just, just, just little, little, little miniature unicorns. Tribble. Make and... a bunch
0: of tribbles from their first episode of Star Trek. The okay. Tribbles. Remember the tribbles? I'll make so a bunch like, of baby Yodas. They're, they're, oh, oh my God. I'm just going to project baby Yoda all over the world. It's going to solve Yodas. all the problems. They're going to just be walking around <laughs> the house Oh my soup. God. Yeah. No, I mean, there. that is an interesting, because I mean, when you say like, you know, like for the, in, in the case of the Enfield creature, for example, uh, Enfield creature, um, you said something about there. There has to be some type of population. Yeah, I mean, to me, it has to be created somehow. I mean, I mean, if we're going by our standards as a, as a race, it has to be ha, ha, had been reproduced in some way from some other couple of sources. I guess that's how we reproduce things here. Um, or it could it could have been. I mean, we we're talking about Chernobyl a few minutes ago, and I mean, I was just watching uh, an uh, interesting video on Chernobyl obviously chernobyl has been kind of at the front of the news for the last few months because of the tv show and whatnot uh so there's been a lot of very interesting documentaries and little articles being done on youtube and stuff like that and one of the things they did discuss was you know the whole hilarious you know and the simpsons pointed fun at it you know with the nuclear power plant and the three-eyed fish and stuff like that um they actually did go out into the nature now in Pripyat and the surrounding areas, the what we call the exclusion zone from from the Chernobyl power plant, and they did do observations on simple creatures like you know like like bugs and ladybugs and things like that, and they did produce evidence to showing that these creatures have their DNA has been altered as a result of this disaster, right? But slight. For example, the one the one bug they were showing, they showed the markings on its back. They say now, typically, this genus, it would be uh, you know, it would look like you know some squiggly lines or whatever. And they say now this thing has straight lines. Uh, and they and oh. they were and they were able to reproduce it. It wasn't just one bug they found. They so, said, oh my god, this is crazy. They all look the same. So there has been a variation in their DNA, right? So. That's a very real thing. And that carries into things like the Enfield creature, where what if this thing was exposed to some type of chemical that vastly altered its DNA? I mean, and it's stuff that's made of horror movies. I mean, we see it all the time, right? Something gets exposed to something, but it seems to me that that's not too far from reality, really. Uh, That if something is exposed to something like that, it could be altered. And resemble a monster. <laughs> it don't seem yeah, like it's too far definitely. out of the realm. It don't seem like it's too far out of the realm of possibilities to me. Uh, and it's been proven that it does happen. It does have maybe slightly, but it does happen out there. Uh, we just had, re- I mean, recently here, Amber and I were talking about it before we started the show. Uh, it's a there is there was some type of leak, not not five, six miles away from our, where we're at here. Yeah,
1: there was like literally like bright green neon goo oozing onto the highway. Yeah. Oh. And everyone oh. was joking at first, like, oh, this is how the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles were born. And it was funny. I saw it, to be honest. But you know, I was like, like oh my God, what is okay, that? OK, this is funny and everything. And the memes are great. But like, wait, what the hell is that? And turns out it's like the same I can't Hexovalent
0: it's, chromium or yeah, something. yeah something
1: like that it's that's I don't know if you're familiar if you remember that movie um Aaron Brockovich, or just that person but she, that that's was a good like movie. it's the same stuff same chemical that caused like a whole town to be poisoned and get cancer yeah and this is just oh leaking out of this guy's bait like not his basement but it's a he it's got a, a pit where he just
0: dumped all the all the waste in
1: oh yeah and it's going into lakes and possible you know like sewer drains like
0: horrible. yeah so and we're going oh are we drinking this now? And what's going to happen to yeah, us no now, kidding. right? I mean, there was that uh, there was that documentary also on DuPont when they started making the nonstick pans back yeah, in the Yeah, but see,
1: the sad thing is, is like we won't grow wings or just glow
0: and do something cool. No, like, we'll just get sick and die. Like, exactly.
1: Yeah. So right. we can't, yeah.
0: DuPont Dupont cha- altered our DNA. Yeah, Well, They yeah. literally altered our DNA. That documentary, it's a really interesting documentary on Netflix. Um, they literally, by doing using the chemicals they use to make nonstick pans... They altered our DNA. Like, we all have been exposed to this in one way or another now because of pans, right? Um, but yeah, nothing well, cool happens to us, though. That's,
1: Zelia, that's one of the things I find interesting with UFO cases, too, is when people are exposed to crafts or even beans, like, they show these signs of radiation or different, like, physical things that, that, and I, to me, that's really extra creepy. And I don't know if that was something. You can tell us was more of a thing of the past or if that's something that still happens to this day with with current cases
3: boy i haven't seen any recently (laughs) um i'm sure (laughs) that's not to say that uh they're not happening yeah but yeah no there and there are many cases too of um deaths by radiation poisoning after um witnessing a ufo at close range i know there was a guy from canada whose case was really well documented he actually touched a flying saucer and these exhaust ports kind of opened on it and he was burned with these circular marks on his chest um, and died of cancer Sometimes, sometime after that. Um, there's another case, too, from, I believe, Argentina where, um, again, a man was at uh, close range to a flying saucer and then he had severe radiation effects where he actually kind of started disintegrating. Um, so that is definitely... Yeah, I would say if you see a flying saucer, yeah. please don't do please do not it. touch it. Um, so hopefully, maybe we all learned our lessons and that's why we're not hearing about it or maybe yeah. uh, it's just being covered up, I don't know. <laughs> I, I
1: want to say like when I was reading but, um, Skinwalker Ranch book uh, by George Knapp that there was some cases involved, like something kind of with that that had maybe in, we're in the 80s um, with the cattle mutilations and all that stuff where people were getting exposed with uh, some weird stuff and I think there was a couple deaths, but um, but it's far and few between for sure. Um, Yeah. One of the other things I had to laugh at as I'm going through all your videos today, because I was like, she's so right, was your video on Elementals being the paranormal junk drawer. That is so (laughs) true. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) And honestly, you probably like miffed two people out there because like you had like no thumbs down on any of your videos. And that was like the only one that had like two thumbs down. Like someone out there was like, (laughs) yeah. Uh, but
3: if oh, we, yeah. for real... I, yeah, I noticed that.
1: For real, when we... when we, we we can't talk tonight. When we go on investigations and when we've done them in the past, every once in a while we come across something where when no one has any good explanation for it, which, of course, we don't have any good explanations for any of this stuff anyway, but still, someone will just go, well, yeah, I think it was an elemental. Like, like oh, okay, yeah, that <laughs> makes sense, sure. We we had that with uh, the, one of the EVPs we got, Scott. I won't mention who said it, but we, we showed... Um, one of these researchers we know, or we let him listen to this EVP and he's like, Oh, it's an elemental. How, how do you, how do you know that?
0: Elemental. How do you know that?
1: And so I found that was, that was so funny how you were like, yep, paranormal junk drawer. I don't know if you want to go on and explain well, that a little bit for listeners,
3: please, but yeah, I love this. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, that is, that's exactly how I feel about it because my thing is just so this stuff really is it's the paranormal because it is unexplained and you know, yes, there are patterns we can try and figure out and you know, like sift them, you know, into different areas, but ultimately we don't know what it is. And I have noticed that it's a trend, um, where if there is something that's just completely, you know, out of left field, like actually the Enfield horror is a, one that I saw and the Doverdeam is another one, I'll notice people just throwing out elemental <laughs> like that means anything. <laughs> yeah. And I hate to say it that way, but you know, that's kind of how I feel about it. And the real issue with me, too, um, and the elemental thing, is that at its core, it's a very outdated means of organizing unknowns. I mean, it was, I think it was from the 16th century that the idea came to be that there were, you know, entities that were, um, oh, inhabited the different elements. And so we're talking, this, this organization system, this classification system is from the 16th century, and. I just, I really don't think that it's um, valid when you start looking at the evidence, and it certainly doesn't explain what the stuff is. Um, so, yeah, it is definitely, I would say it is the paranormal junk drawer just because everything that doesn't fit gets thrown into it or ghosts that, you know, if you can't find, like, you know, oh, so-and-so was murdered here and they have unfinished yeah. business and all that, I've even seen ghost labels elementals. And, sure, you know, maybe, again, I'm not discounting them completely. I'm sure that there are, things that would be similar to what that idea was trying to convey at the time. I just don't think it is the proper label for 90% of the things that it's slapped on.
0: Well, I'm looking at the uh, the devil's website here, Google, and um, re- uh, what I see uh, okay, as an adjective, primary, basic, as far as elemental, and then in, re- in relation to what we're talking about, uh, yeah, yeah, you mentioned this too, Azealia, is related to or embodying the powers of nature. Okay, great. And yep. then as a noun is a noun, a supernatural entity or force thought to be physically manifested by occult means.
1: Sure, yeah. So I, I'm
0: willing to lock it into that one.
1: Well, and that was going back, like uh, Zelia said, in the 1600s. Yeah, they, that's, they, what, they,
0: that's what I yeah.
1: Yeah, where you have, like, what, your undying salamander gnomes, sylphs, sliffs, whatever they're called, yeah. they're each representing earth, air, fire, water, all that kind of stuff. But, yeah. like, yeah, when you just call out, you're in a haunted house, and you're like, all eh, right, it's elemental. Well, what one is it? Is it a fire one? What does it do? Like, exactly. I don't, I don't get it. I know
3: that. And I think that, um, yeah, the modern terminology, you know, of something that is just manifested, Kiel did use the term elemental not pertaining to the elements. And that's where it gets really tricky because then you have some people using it in that regard, some people using it as like the nature spirit um, sort of way, and it just... Oh,
0: geez. Or people are just using the term to make themselves sound smarter. Well, I'm sorry. Well, no, I'm going to I, say
3: it. I do, like, like
1: I do feel it has be- become more associated with like maybe paganism, or if you have like beliefs yep. on that end of something, um, you might work with elementals that maybe you feel like, hey, I'm going to leave an altar in my backyard to the elementals. And, and they could even be associated a bit okay. with the fairy creatures and fairy lore. I just think that mm-hmm. when we apply it to paranormal investigation, it is like Delia said, it's just a junk drawer that's what i'm saying and (laughs) i mean it's okay
0: so you don't have it because you know okay fine i know there's lots of classifications for for entities right uh poltergeist uh residual hauntings things of that sort and they do have some i mean they have a classification they have a definition that's pretty well known um but even with that i say okay so you, this is definitely, as I've heard people, this is definitely poltergeist activity. I'm like, how the hell do you know? How do you really know, right? Or this is a residual yeah. haunting. It's like, well, you've only seen it one time. A residual haunting is something that's supposed to happen over and over again. So how can you say it's a residual yeah. haunting? And it's not to be could be argumentative or combative with people, but when it comes to this, so elemental is no different to me. Well, it's an elemental. How the hell do you know if it's an elemental Well,
1: haunting? and I think Jacques Vallée, with his interdimensional th- hypothesis, like, actually saying like we can have different realities or dimensions like that coexist like right next mm-hmm. to us that out of that potentially comes yeah. these creatures and the men in black and um what just triggered my memory what did you just say scott
0: what the hell are you talking about
1: oh my god that's, so, what, that's what
0: that's what i said basically. oh
1: well okay so well yeah all this stuff that you're just like huh but I, this i love also this idea of the ultra terrestrial which is is very Keelian. like i think he did he coin that term zelia
3: um, Sanderson technically coined it, but oh. Keel's the one who really used it. I okay. love that term.
0: I do, too. I love that ultra-terrestrial. Oh, yeah.
1: I, I, it just sounds... It, like, to I'm me, I'm more... I'm
0: super... I'm massively terrestrial.
1: Well, no, to me, it, ex- no, it's a really cool term. it explains so much. It's not like, oh, okay, we mm-hmm. got it all figured out. But when you really go into the definition of this, it's like, oh, my God, like people's time slips or, or like, oh, poltergeist phenomena. That's what triggered that. So that right. poltergeist phenomena is actually sometimes part of the potential ultra-terrestrial mm-hmm. region um, where you get these sudden disturbances and things moving on their own. Um, and yeah, these random one-time creatures that maybe pop in and out, maybe. Or like the random dinosaur people that see dinosaurs, like a terodactyl. <laughs> yep. Like, maybe that's because in dimension 2AB over here, they still have dinosaurs. I don't know. That kind of stuff to me seems, even though it's hard to wrap your brain around, it seems plausible. <laughs> like maybe oh yeah yeah and i, and I think that's where keel and, and valet or they, they were going that way yeah and i think there's a renaissance of their ideas again which i i don't know do you agree that that their ideas are coming back zelia like it's keel is i i think, I think and so. and yeah. and jacques books too I, in in fact he's just done some interviews recently because otherwise he was sort of like off the radar like oh, i don't want to talk about ufos yeah. anymore and and now he's back well, i
3: I do feel like, you know, these ideas are still kind of on the fringe, but I I think they are definitely becoming more mainstream. And that that is the funny funny thing about this is, you know, these ideas of there possibly being connections between cryptozoology and spectrology and ufology, you know, a lot of people are still really diehards for their field and really don't want to see that evidence. Um, But I do feel like more often it's becoming more acceptable. And I think it's just because, you know, the longer that anyone is researching this, the longer that we're getting you know the culmination of all this research, um, the evidence is just pointing to something way more bizarre than the typical flesh and blood or nuts and bolts theories are going to allow and so yeah I definitely I do think that you know their work especially is kind of coming back with a vengeance so
1: yeah, which I'm thrilled about. Um, in our last uh, 10 minutes here, you've had personal experiences. I know that you, you said you saw the orbs outside, which was really super cool. Yeah. But have you had other things since you were little that has kept you engaged and, and pursuing the knowledge of all this weirdness?
3: Um, I guess the short answer on that is yes. Uh, <laughs> and the funny thing is, like the really hilarious thing is, is that I wouldn't say that any of these actually triggered my interest in the paranormal. Because um, I know a lot of people become interested in it because of a personal experience, and it's almost like I've had personal experience in spite of the fact that I'm interested in it, Yeah. Um, because, yeah, I've uh, had several different types of experiences. Um, it's funny that you said that you saw, you know, what could be classified as a biological Yeah. UFO. I did see something that would fit that description, actually. We were, um, my sisters and I were watching a lunar eclipse some years ago. And yeah, sure enough, just out, it was a perfectly clear night. You see these little, like, they did. They looked like deep sea, like, you know, the translucent, not jellyfish, you know, particularly, but like the deep sea fish that looked yep. kind of like globular and yep. like translucent yep. and slightly bioluminescent. Yep. Oh. That's exactly what like yeah, glo- yep. Yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. And so we were, were kind we- of like flipping along the horizon, and it was amazing. No, I, I got it. That I, was before I, I knew that that was even a thing. Yeah. Um, so that was that was one of them. Um, I've had the good fortune, I would say, our, the house I currently live in has had unexplained activity. Um, I guess you'd technically say that it's, you know, ghosts or whatever. And yeah, that's, it's interesting. You know, it's not like a classic, like haunted house where, you know, every night there's like, you know, some woman in white that floats down <laughs> sure, the hallway or yeah. something like that. It's just every now and again, it sounds like someone's home, they're at the door, opening the door, no one's there. Um, and even with that, too, I did, there, I had a, a sighting once, and this was very strange, of um, the classic woman in, I just said, there's not a woman in white that goes down the hall night. well, there's not. <laughs> but I did see this woman in a white dress um, reflected in the mirror, and I actually thought it was my mom. And this was some years ago. And so, like, I, we had this mirror, and you could see the stairway if you were sitting on the couch reflected in the mirror, and she was upstairs, and I thought that she came down the stairway. And so I waited, and I waited, and she didn't come down. I'm like, okay, that's weird. So then I asked her later, I was like, hey, you didn't, you know, come down the stairway. And she's like, no, but what time time did you think you saw me? And I was like, oh, like half an hour ago. And she was like, okay, that's weird, because about half an hour ago, the door opened to my room. And I thought it was one of you guys. And so I was like, what do you need? So that was was another one that was pretty far up there on the weird list, you know, because even though, like, yes – No one else saw the same exact thing. There was a sighting, or a, you know, a strange occurrence simultaneously at the same time in the same area. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, just um, stuff like that. And the earliest thing that happened to me, I would say, actually was also an orb. And unfortunately, I don't remember this personally, but when I was, like, I think slightly slightly older than two, I asked my mom what this um, lit-up ball was in the hallway. And, of course, she didn't see anything. So... It's been kind of like not really a constant, but every now and again, something weird happens. Yeah,
1: uh, where when you guys saw your um, j- jellyfish,
3: <laughs> were, jellyfish,
1: were, were you guys? Do you live? Because I know you're in Wisconsin, right? Yep. Are you close to Lake Michigan,
3: yep. or are you on the not, other side? Not super close, but we do have a lake um, in the town where I live, Beaver Dam. Okay, um, and. Yeah, because I know there there are a lot of connections between people seeing any type of UFO and bodies of water. Yeah,
1: um, I know, and I'm I a wondered, big fan
3: of yeah Sanderson and Invisible Residents. He kind of goes into detail on that.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have but, to check out more of his books because I kind of wrote his name down today because that is one of the few guys I do not own anything from. So I was like, after watching all your videos, I was like, yep, okay, I got to get some of his stuff. Um, but no, that's interesting. <laughs> was was your jellyfish like reddish colored? Like reddish orangish pinkish like in that kind of color spectrum what color was it
3: no this one was um like a clear like you know that white blue that kind of it was exactly like a bioluminescent fish with like a really white blue sort of yeah um shimmer i guess you could say
1: okay and it
3: was it was just the weirdest thing because too it was really bright is the other weird thing about it because you know you don't necessarily think of um I don't know, like bioluminescence is being especially bright. You think of it kind of as a glow, but this thing was like translucent just with these really, really bright, almost sparkly bioluminescent splotches all over it. It was wow. just really bizarre.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious if like people – I'm really geeked after seeing that, that whenever someone says they saw something similar, I get all like excited because like people don't report those as often. Um, oh,
3: no. The After, I mean – In my time with MUFON too, you can really tell that the focus is put on craft. Yeah. You know, and I can can get why, because obviously people are more interested in, like, okay, if there's humanoids coming or whatever, you know, some other race coming in, you know, they want to deal with that. But these softer sightings really comprise, I think, the larger portion of UFO sightings, and they definitely deserve as much, if not possibly more attention, definitely more attention than they get.
1: So. Yeah, our when we talked to MUFON, um, the lady, the investigator that chatted with us in Michigan, she, like, didn't know what to do with this one. Like, she kept asking, yeah. like, just sort of weird questions. And I'm like, I mean, she really had never encountered this one. And I'm like, really, guys, really? I mean, I feel special now, but, like, huh. So it just makes me want to <laughs> keep going out and searching more for that. I mean, we, we, we go out there now and we sit and we kind of look up now, like, waiting for it to return. Like, come on, girl. Yeah. Come on, come on back now um i don't know what kind of Uh, we can get some treats yeah we're
0: waiting for your knowledge (laughs) i'm
1: gonna get some t-shirts
0: we want your
1: knowledge (laughs) yeah put some snacks out Um, so anyway well thank you so much zelia for hanging out with us oh my god i could talk to you for hours now you just got your own podcast on the 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 uk paranormal network right
3: Yep, it's uh just like my YouTube channel, just another tinfoil hat and there's new episodes every other Monday.
1: Every
2: other so Monday. So I just
3: I'm going to release the second episode ever, um, this upcoming Monday. So okay. yeah, really excited about that.
1: And those um Paranormal that you can get those shows on any podcast app, right? I'm pretty sure oh, yeah. that okay. Okay, because everyone go listen. Yeah, I think now. Go listen, subscribe, like, like all of, especially go like her video on um, Elementals being a paranormal junk Yeah, box. Or, or just go, go to- click like on it.
0: You can also go to paranormalukradio.com.
1: Oh, yeah, you can go to that and or, stuff. Or, I'm and, sorry,
0: PAUKradio.com. Yeah, and that's check that I mean. out and yeah, um,
1: all that good stuff. So, yes, I think we're going to be seeing very good things from you in the future, Zelia. You are awesome.
0: Yeah, thank and again, thank you for taking some time to chat with us. We I really love your brain.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, and this has been a great time. So, thanks again for having me on the show. Ghostly
2: Talks! Ah. Ah.